0: welcome how's everybody doing well that that was a great great news broadcast right there that was really cool that highlight video the drone footage how cool was that and steve's karate demonstration in slow motion did you see that i thought that was really good really good we're going to be in john chapter 11 this morning if you want to turn there We're going to have it up here on the screen as well, but we're in John chapter 11. We've started a brand new sermon series that we are calling The End of the Beginning. How many know just because it looks like the end doesn't mean it's the end? Have you ever seen that in your life? You might feel like you're at the end of your rope. But it was just the beginning of the next phase, the next story, a new testimony of what God has done in your life, We're talking about Jesus' final days of his earthly ministry as he comes towards the cross. And we're just a matter of days, a couple of short weeks out from Jesus' death on the cross in our place. So we're getting into the Passion Week where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. And in John chapter 11, we see Mary and Martha have the worst week of their lives. Anybody remember the worst week of your life? right? Where were you when you heard about the NS shootings? Or where were you when September 11th? Right? You remember those moments, the worst moments in your life. Let me ask you this question. We'll start it with this. I rarely start out a sermon this heavy, but here's how we're going to start. Has God ever failed you? Has God ever failed to meet your expectations? You can respond if you'd like. Do you feel like God has ever let you down? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes it's tough to be that honest with God, isn't it? I don't know if, if your prayer life is as honest as some of the prayers that we see in Scripture, in the book of Psalms. But man, there are people who cry out to God because they feel as if God has failed them. Has God ever failed you? John chapter 11. Let's look at verse 1 as we begin. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Can you guys see the screen on this side? Is that working? All right. You can also check it out on the back if you need to. Back there, we've got a big screen. A certain man was ill. Now, you may remember the story of Mary and Martha, right? good friends of Jesus. Jesus would often stay at their house. Martha would cook a meal. Mary would sit at Jesus' feet, listen to his teaching. Lazarus is their brother. Now, one story is that while Mary is sitting, listening to the teaching of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha is complaining. Master, tell her to help me with the meal, with the chores, with the housework. You get to see the differences in their personality really quick, don't you? Martha is like the She's the household manager, right? She gets stuff done. She says what needs to be said. She takes care of business. She's all about form and function. Now, Mary, on the other hand, look at verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Do you remember this story? It takes place just in the next chapter. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, if you read that story, what does Mary do? What does she pour on the feet of Jesus? Do you remember? The oil, the nard, I think some versions say. It's like this costly ointment. And in the conversation later on, they figure out that that ointment probably cost a year's salary. Can you imagine? One year's income into this ointment, and Mary just dumped it. (laughs) and Judas Iscariot one of the disciples who's concerned about money because he's in charge of the money bag and he would steal from it says why did you just waste this we could have sold it and given the money to the poor that's not really where his heart was at his heart was on the money but that's Mary she's dramatic she's emotional she just pours it all out she's empathetic she's relational do you see the difference between Martha and Mary let me point this out I say all that just to say this Who you are is who you will be on the tough days. Do you realize that? The habits that you form on the good days are the habits you're going to have on your hard days. Do you realize that when the trial hits, it doesn't necessarily mean that this maturity and courage and fortitude is just going to hit you like a wall. It means that who you are on the good days is often how you'll act and the habits and the practices you have on your worst days. Have you heard the illustration of a tube of toothpaste? You squeeze a tube of toothpaste and what comes out? Toothpaste, toothpaste right? Whatever's on the inside is going to come out. You ever grab the tea bag and put it in the hot water and none of the contents leak out? No, it's designed to leak out whatever is inside that tea bag. It's in the difficult days under pressure when we figure out what's really on the inside. Mary and Martha are about to have the toughest week of their lives and their daily habits and practices and personalities, who they are on the good days, is going to shine out in the worst week of their life. And we're going to see glimpses of their personalities come through. Look at verse 3. So the sisters send word to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I love that title right there. Lazarus. Their brother, Jesus' friend, he's sick to the point of death. So they send word to Jesus. Of course, Jesus, the one who loves Lazarus, should be the one to find out first if he's sick, right? If you have a loved one who's sick, you would want them or somebody close to them to contact you so that you know right away. You don't want a week, a month to go by and then find out you were in the hospital for surgery and I never knew. I thought we were friends right? I want to be able to pray for you, to care for you. Now, in this, I sense a plea. Don't you? They reach out to Jesus, and it's not recorded that they request anything of him. It just looks like they're giving him information, but I sense a plea in this. Not only do they send word to Jesus immediately, but they also use this title, he whom you love is sick. Do you realize that title can be applied to you? That title can be applied to me. That we are the ones whom Jesus loves and that we're when we're going through a sickness, when we're going through a difficult day, when we're in a storm of life that we are the ones whom Jesus loves. They send word to Jesus. They're obviously sending news in hope and expectation that he's going to respond. He's going to do something. Do you ever tell God how he ought to love you? Do you ever, do you ever pray your expectation? <laughs> God, I know that you love me, so demonstrate it to me by... Is your prayer ever like that? God, thank you that you love me. So here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what I expect of you. Here's the box that I think your love should arrive in and packaged as. Sometimes we have expectations on how God ought to love us. This is what I expect your love to look like in my life. Look at verse 4. But, here's where the story changes. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Praise God. The story's turned around, right? This illness does not lead to death. Spoiler alert, Lazarus dies, okay? If you didn't catch it in the good news, I'm telling you now, Lazarus dies. But Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. We're going to have to talk about that. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness does not lead to death. Lazarus is going to die. Like so dead, his body is stinking and decaying. Like so dead, he's buried in the tomb for four days dead. Okay? He's really, literally going to die. So what is Jesus saying? I think it all hinges on these words right here. It doesn't lead to death. Do you know that death is not the final destination for the believer? How sad would it be to exist through this life and live 70-some-odd years, whatever that looks like for you, whatever God blesses you with, and have no hope or expectation for the next life? If you're just done and then it's done, just black and non-existent. How sad would that be? But we know that for the believer, death is not the end of the story. And Jesus knew that. Jesus is going to illustrate it through this story. That death is not the end. It's not the goal. It's not the outcome. It's not the final destination. For Lazarus, it would be a stop on his journey, but it's not going to be the end of his journey. And it's not going to be the end of journey for you and I if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Death is not the end. I want to point out two things. Pain and purpose. And those two should always go together, right? Have you ever experienced pain without a purpose? Most of the time when we experience pain, there's a purpose, right? We go to the gym, we exercise, we feel the pain the next day, but we know it's for a purpose, right? You take your kids to the doctors and they get the pain of that needle, but you encourage them, this is for a purpose. This is for your health. Pain with a purpose. Do you know what the purpose always is? I love black and white. I love clarity. I love simplicity. So let me make this as simple as I can possibly make it. The purpose is always the glory of God. The purpose is always the glory of God. In everything, all of creation is for the glory of God. This facility, this community, these people, the songs we sing, the word we're going to preach, your job, your schedule, your days, All of it is for the glory of God. Can we make it any more simple than that? Why do I need to wake up this morning? Because the glory of God. What am I living this day for? Well, you're living it for the glory of God. Why am I facing the awkwardness of this conversation trying to tell this person about Jesus, who I know is never going to respond, but I'm going to do it anyway in faith because the glory of God. The purpose in everything is the glory of God. So what about pain? What about disappointment? What about suffering? Is it for the glory of God? That's what we want to dig into. Mary and Martha are facing the toughest week of their life. How is God going to be glorified through this? Look at verse 5. Now this is the Jesus I know right here. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Do you know Jesus loves you? Don't ever question that. But then verse 6 kind of hits like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? Look at verse 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's try and read that with a positive spin. Can we do that? Jesus loved them so he. How do, you, how do you read that? Jesus loved them so he didn't show up when they needed him. Jesus loved his friend who was sick and in the hospital and on his deathbed so he just stayed where he was. Jesus loved them so he stayed. Does this challenge your understanding of who Jesus is? You can be honest. I try and say that from the stage once in a while. We we can be honest in church, can't we? We can tell the truth. We can actually say what our hearts are feeling. I struggle with that. Jesus loved them, so he stayed in the place where he was. Has there ever been a time when your loved one was sick and God didn't seem to show up when you asked? Has there ever been a time where, man, you were stuck at the end of your rope, and you just needed God too, and he didn't? Has God ever failed to meet your expectations of how he should love you in a storm in life? He's failed my expectations. But I think the onus of that statement is our expectations, aren't they? How's Jesus going to show love to his friends when because he loves them, he stays longer? Now, he doesn't give an apparent reason. Just think about this. They didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have email, so... Mary and Martha probably sent a messenger to Jesus. Take word to Jesus. And that messenger goes. He travels 20 miles or whatever it was to get to Jesus and his disciples. He sends word and he returns. Maybe the next day, maybe two days, he comes back. But Jesus isn't with him. The disciples aren't with him. Mary and Martha are watching expectedly. And the messenger returns, but Jesus doesn't. And the messenger comes to Martha and says, look, I got your message to Jesus. I made it clear. I told him the one whom you love is sick. I made sure he knew how sick Lazarus was, that Lazarus is on his deathbed, that he probably wouldn't be alive when we get back, so we have to hurry. You know what Jesus said? He said, this illness does not lead to death. And then he stayed where he was. He didn't come with me. Martha, Mary, I don't know if Jesus is going to come. How do you think they took that news? You know, I bet there are a ton of people out there who have turned their back on God, on church, on God's people, on the Bible, because God didn't show up when they thought he should show up. Why would I go to church? I tried the prayer thing. I tried to ask God to step into my situation, and he didn't. They're not here today because God didn't show up when I asked God to show up. And they've turned their back. Look at verse 7. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? These people, Jesus, in case you missed it, they tried to kill you last time we were there and they're always uttering death threats and trying to figure out how they're going to arrest you and you want to go back? You see, Judea is the region that the city of Jerusalem is in. And Bethany is just a couple miles from Jerusalem. So for Jesus to return to Bethany to see Lazarus, to see Mary, to see Martha meant that he was walking right into the crowd of people who wanted to take his life and end his message, end his ministry, end the people of the way, because he was challenging their leadership and their authority. You know, this would be, most likely, Jesus' final trip to Jerusalem from his hometown. Before he dies on the cross, he's probably never going to go home to see his mother, to see his brothers, to see his family, his friends. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry, and he knows it. Jesus encourages the disciples, look, my time is in God's hands. My ministry, my message, it's all according to God's plan. So if God didn't set the time, if God has that time set, then no man can step in and change that. My time is in God's hands. So they, they move forward. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, he made it clear to them, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, this is another bizarre statement from Jesus, isn't it? For your sakes, I was glad I was not there. Now, if you have a close personal friend and they're dying of an illness, wouldn't you want to be there? Wouldn't you want to be by their side, holding their hand, reminiscing, celebrating, encouraging, helping, comforting, consoling? Jesus says, for your sakes, I'm glad that I was not there. Jesus' friend has died. Wouldn't you want to be with your friend on his deathbed? See, Jesus knew it wasn't the last goodbye. He knew this wasn't the final goodbye for Lazarus. Jesus knew the rest of the story, but... More than that, Jesus knew the kind of faith and the level of faith that this would build in the people who followed him. He knew the good that this was going to come, the good that was going to come from this situation. He knew the type of faith that it would build in all of the people who see what he's about to do. Jesus knew that faith. And Speaking of faith, you remember doubting Thomas? The poor guy. How do you get a nickname like Doubting Thomas? I hope when I'm gone, people don't refer to me as whatever adjective. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah, make one up. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin. He said to his fellow disciples, let's also go with him that we may die with him. Now, I don't know if that's, if that's a statement of faith. Like, let's, let's go with Jesus even if it means our death. Or if it's a statement of pessimism, like, we're going to die anyway, might as well be now, right? I'm not really sure. See, the disciples knew that going to Judea meant sure and utter death. They knew it. They told Jesus twice in this conversation. Jesus assures them, my time is in God's hands, but they assure Jesus, this is likely going to mean your death if we go back here. These Jews Want to take your life? Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus finally arrives on the outskirts of Bethany. He hasn't even entered the town yet. So many other Jews are gathered there to comfort and console Mary and Martha. It's close to Jerusalem. There's this big crowd gathered to mourn and to weep. Jesus arrives. The place where they thought he should have been the whole time. And then we come to verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Doesn't this just speak to their personality? I mean, the stories we hear of Mary and Martha, Mary's always seated in the house. Maybe she's praying, maybe she's calling out, maybe she's weeping and crying. I can guarantee this poor girl is a mess because... The next part says that she was likely a mess. But Martha is the one who wants to take care of the situation. She's going to meet Jesus before Jesus arrives. Now, this doesn't sound like a fun conversation. Mary, Martha marches out there, and she's waiting for Jesus to brow that hill. And she's going to let Jesus know what she thinks. You ready for this conversation? Here's how it goes. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. How do you like that? Do you ever have an honest prayer with God that looks like that? God, if you had have just stepped in, if you had have just done what I asked you to do, none of this would have happened. God, you could have changed their mind. If you had have only stopped that car. If you had have only stepped in right here at this moment, we wouldn't be facing this pain and this grief and this suffering. God, if you had of only. Have you ever gone down that road in your prayer life, your conversations? You know, chasing that what if can drive a person crazy. You ever done that? Um... I have somebody in my life who cared for somebody who was alcoholic. Every time they were drunk at the bar, every time they were drunk wherever around town, this person would go to where they were and made sure they got home safely. Night after night, weekend after weekend, tough conversation after tough conversation. Nothing was changing. So he gets the call one night, I need a ride. I'm a mess. I can't make it home. I don't know how I got here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And this person said, not tonight. Enough. Enough's enough. Find your own way. So they got behind the wheel of their vehicle and they died in a car accident. (laughs) You talk about a what if. If I'd have just gone... One more time, God. If you had have just sent one more person, if you had have just stopped that car, we wouldn't be facing any of this. But you didn't. Martha says, "Look, if you had have just showed up when I asked you to show up, but you didn't. Now my brother's gone, your friend's gone, Mary's brother." He's gone. He's been gone four days. Why didn't you come? (laughs) But then I love this next verse. Have you read it yet? Verse 22. But even now I know. Even in the midst of pain and heartache and suffering and all the questions of what if and why didn't you and why hasn't God responded the way I expect him to respond? Do you know what Lazarus' name means? I forgot to say this. Lazarus' name means the one who God helps. Martha's saying, look, my brother totally expected you to show up, and now he's gone and you didn't get a chance to say goodbye or do anything about it. But then she says, but even now, I know, even in the midst of my pain, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's the trial ground for faith. Faith isn't it? In those tough and difficult circumstances, that's when our faith shines through. Even now I know in the midst of Martha's confusion with Jesus, the pain, the loss, Martha shows great faith. What does your faith say when it gets tested? (laughs) When your toothpaste tube gets squeezed, what comes out the other side? I read this great verse in my devotions the other day. It's Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, I knew somebody once who claimed that they had a scholarship to Duke University to play basketball. Now, if you know anything about Duke University or college basketball, you'll know that's like the top of the top. And this person who made that claim, we invited them to come play basketball. Obviously, we want to see their skills. And when they hit the court, it became clear that there is no way on earth they received a scholarship from Duke University to play basketball. Maybe something else, definitely not basketball. How does your faith shine and show when you hit the court? When it's time to really prove that faith that you say that you believe. When your coworkers, when your family members, when your friends and neighbors are watching you in the midst of your struggle and your pain, is it your faith that shines through? Does your faith die or does it declare the power of God in the midst of your struggle? For Martha, she says, But even now I know. And in the midst of adversity, she steps up and claims her faith. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. There it is again, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This was a common understanding that the saints, one day after death, would be reunited with their creator in heaven. We still believe that to this day. Death is not the end But it's just the beginning of the next life, the real life. You see, this life is just a little blimp. Is it blip or blimp? Blimp is big, blip is little. I think it's blip. But in the book of James, it says your life's like a vapor. It's just a puff, and then it's gone. You see, this life is like just a little appetizer to the main course for all of eternity. You see, every time we get to stand on the mountaintop and see the sunset, every time we sing a song that just grips our soul, every time we read words that transform our heart, we get these little glimpses of what life is going to be like for all eternity. I love what Jesus says in verse 25. This is his fifth I am statement. In the Gospel of John, he makes seven of them, I believe it is. This is his fifth. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus doesn't just offer resurrection. He doesn't just offer life. He is resurrection and life. It's not just something that he gives. It's something who he is. And he who abides in me will have life. He is the resurrection of the life. You remember when Moses was standing at the burning bush and he says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. Now Jesus is claiming that title. He's messianic claim right here. I am the resurrection and the life. You remember he said, I'm the good shepherd. I am the living water. Last week we talked about how he said, I'm the bread of life. Now Jesus is saying, I am the, the resurrection, and the life. It's not something that I just give, it's who I am. You see, society and pop culture leads you... How should I say this? So much of society and pop culture is distractions and escapes from our ever-apparent mortality. Have you realized that? When you scroll through social media, when you turn on the TV... Almost everything you see is going to try and take your attention away from the fact that everybody dies. Have you noticed that? When I turn on the TV at night, I totally lose focus on that understanding. That my life is temporary and it's just the doorway to the next. You see, each one of us is going to die. Each and every one. Lazarus died and if we consider the rest of the story, which isn't recorded, but we know Lazarus dies again, doesn't he? One day, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but another day, Jesus doesn't. And Lazarus dies. Because preserving this life is not the end-all, be-all, is it? We shouldn't just be living for this life. Real and everlasting life is in the next the big question is, am I prepared for it? Look at the rest of verse 25. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? Can I ask you that question today? Whether you're at home watching online or you're here in person, do you believe this? Is this something you truly believe? believe? Or do you spend your days trying to avoid that thought that your life is coming to an end? Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no life apart from me. You remember last week Peter said, who else are we going to follow? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe this? And I would ask you, do you believe that? Have you made that personal decision to trust Christ as your Savior? Look at what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If you want to make that decision today, and I would encourage you to really consider it. This is the most important decision that you will ever make. Do you believe that Jesus is life? You see, a lot of us have jumped into this thought process in society and pop culture that it's good versus bad. And there are good people and there are bad people. And the whole process of life is just to become one of those good people before life is over. But it's much worse than that. You're either dead or you're alive. You're not just bad or good, you're dead or you're alive. The Bible says that we are all dead in trespasses and sins. it also says that Jesus is the only life. So if you need to make that decision today, you need to admit that, hey, I'm dead. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do for myself. There was nothing Lazarus could do to get out of that tomb. Lazarus' story is my story. I'm dead, helpless, and hopeless, and I need Jesus Christ to call me out of that grave. And then you need to believe that Jesus can actually do it, that he is who he says he is, that he is the resurrection, and he is the life. And then the Bible says, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just like Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe. That's an active belief. That's faith. That's acting upon it. You need to make that decision for yourself if you have not already. Let's move on. Verse 33. Let me give you a little glimpse into what's taking place. Martha has this tough conversation with Jesus, and she voices her complaints, but then comes to the point where she is going to exercise her faith, and then she sends word to Mary. Now, Mary runs to meet Jesus. The crowd is thinking Mary is going to weep at the tomb, so they run after her. So Mary arrives, the crowd arrives, Mary says the exact same thing Martha does. If you had have been here, my brother would not have died. And then look at the conversation Jesus has. First of all, look how Jesus responds emotionally. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Have you ever been deeply moved in your spirit? You know, like when you get that phone call or you see that thing on the news and you just, it's just like pain on the inside, your stomach just twists into knots. Jesus is experiencing their pain. You see, maybe people have this idea that God is some deistic master clockmaker who set the hands of time in motion, and then he sits back with his arms folded and just watches it play out. But that's not the God that I see in Scripture. Jesus is actively involved and invested and experiencing the pain and the emotion that these people are under. And look at this verse. I've always loved this verse since I was a kid. The easiest one in the Bible to memorize. It's only two words. Jesus wept. Why do you think he wept? I think it was obviously partly the pain and suffering that Mary and Martha and all of these people who came to console them that they were going through. Partly that his friend was dead. But Jesus knew the rest of the story, didn't he? He should be filled with excitement, with joy, with Jubilee, look at what I'm about to do. I'm about to take the suffering and make it into songs of praise. But instead he weeps. See, I think that there was a part of Jesus that was so broken and distraught over the disbelief of these people who he came to die to save. You see, it always comes back to faith. This whole chapter is about faith. Do you believe? Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, I believe. It all hinges on faith. Jesus is going to raise a guy from the dead and people still are not going to believe. What more can Jesus do? And he's distraught. He knows that the people are still going to refuse to believe even if he raises Lazarus from the dead. The crowd sees Jesus weeping. He sees Jesus distraught on the inside. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, his friend Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Why didn't he do something? Let's read the rest of the story. You ready? We've got to close it off. We've, all, we've already talked about what's going to happen, but let's dig into the details here. Jesus deeply moved again. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Is that a familiar picture? We're going to dig into it in a few weeks' time. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, I love how it uses that title, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Do you really want the stink to come out of the cave? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he praised to God. Look at his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. He's saying this probably out loud so that everybody can hear him. I said this on account of all these people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. That's the purpose of this whole story. Faith. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Just imagine seeing this. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips. So did he like hop out like a VeggieTales character? His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face is wrapped with a cloth. I appreciate you all for bringing your your, uh, sermon illustrations today. That's great. Face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You know, Jesus is the only one who can look death in the face and say, let him go. (laughs) Isn't that great? Jesus cried out, let him go. And the grave clothes, the bonds, the stone, and death itself released its grip on Jesus' friend Lazarus. And it was not the end of the story for Lazarus. It was the beginning of a new story that I'm sure he told everyone everywhere he went. Did you hear about the time? Yes, Lazarus, you've told me 25 times you were dead. Jesus showed up, now you're alive. What was heaven like? Tell me all about it. Then they get into those arguments. But think about this. It was the start of his new and real life when Jesus called him out of the grave and he began new Again. Lazarus' story is your story, and it's my story. We were the ones who were dead in our sins, stuck behind that stone in a grave, and Jesus sends out an invitation. Josh, come forth. Come out of the grave. Sin and death has no hold on you. Through faith, you can receive my resurrection life, and you can walk out of the grave into eternal life. Have you made that decision? Here's the rest of the story. Did you know there was a rest of the story? I think I've said that three times now. But there's more to the story. We're going to finish with this. Do you realize that unsealing Lazarus' fate meant that Jesus sealed his own? We've hinted at it as we've gone, but look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, and they believed in him. That's the outcome that this situation was meant to see. But some of them went to the Pharisees, and they told them what Jesus had done. Remember, we're just two miles outside of Jerusalem. They go to the religious leaders, the religious authority, and say, you'll never guess what Jesus did this time. The religious authorities, they have a conversation, and they say this, look, If Jesus keeps doing what he's doing, everybody's going to believe in him, and there's going to be no way that we can stop him. We have to do something now. Every time that Jesus is with Lazarus from this day forward, it's this picture of Jesus' power over the man who was once dead, his power over death. You read into chapter 12, they're dining and having a meal together, and the people are watching. There's the guy who died, and Jesus raised him back to life. The religious leaders say, if he keeps doing this stuff, everybody's going to believe in him. We won't be able to stop him, so we need to stop him now. Verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, to that point, they just wanted to arrest him. Now they're talking about putting him to death. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews. For Jesus to unseal Lazarus' fate meant that Jesus sealed his own. From that day forward, he was a man wanted. And as we're going to see, as we know, Jesus died on that cross. He took the death, the pain, the suffering that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had all experienced... But he also took the death and pain and suffering of the entire world and he put it on his shoulders and he took it to the cross. Just a few short weeks from this story, he's going to do that. Jesus took Lazarus' place in order to free Lazarus from the grave. And Lazarus' story is your story and it's my story. In order for Jesus to call me out of that grave, the grip of sin and death, he had to take my place in the bonds of sin and death on the cross and in the grave. Jesus is our substitutionary, vicarious sacrifice. He died in our place. That was the death that we should have experienced, but Jesus took it on himself. And today, if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart and you need to receive the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And look, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, or if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, and this video just caught you by surprise, I just want to say, would you take a moment and consider the death waits for no man, and it's coming to all of us. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the only one that can look death in the face and say, let go of him. He said that for me and he said that for you. Would you receive that invitation today? If you made that decision today, would you just fill out the connect card that's in the comments section of the video, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online and get in touch with us so that we can encourage you in that conversation And show you how how we can share the journey together, this journey with Jesus. He is the resurrection and he is the life. Let's close this service in a word of prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for all that you've done for us, Father. God, thank you for the opportunity to have people in the room this morning. Not just online, but here in person. God, we thank you for every way that people get to participate in your word and in worship to you this morning. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I pray for those who are experiencing a particularly difficult season. Maybe they feel like Mary and Martha, like they've called out to you and it's just been silence, like there's a a stone ceiling on the way to their prayers to heaven and they just don't seem to be heard. God, I pray that they would see this story. They would see that you are at work behind the scenes and that you do care and that you stepped into our place so that we don't have to face separation from you for all of eternity. God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you to all those who thank have online. Thank you once again for online, joining us for our, our online for church experience this morning, here. spending this time with us and sharing the journey with us. Would you do yourself a favor and would you do us a favor? Would you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a video? And while you're there, you can check out all of the other great video content over the last several years. And then be sure to like us and follow our page on Facebook. The more that you get involved on social media, the more people get to see this video content and the further that gospel message goes that we were able to preach today. Hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video again. It'll send a notification to your phone, to your email. You can click it and go. It's as simple as that. And then for all other information, you can go to our website, sharethejourney.ca. Make sure that you stay in touch, that you connect. If you haven't yet filled out that connect card that's pinned in the comments section below this video, just take a moment, fill out those short questions so that we can connect with you, and we'll be able to share the journey with you. We hope that you are blessed this week. do see how we act in the parking lot so testimony let's let the community know that we are not above the government we are supporting our government